This is episode number 227, Exercise Guidelines During Pregnancy and Postpartum with Katherine Krem. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I don't want set guidelines because in doing that, we limit some and we overdo it for others. It's like that whole thing about you shouldn't lift more than 20 pounds during pregnancy. To another woman, that would be far too much. I don't believe in these limitations being put out there for absolutely no reason. We shouldn't do that. We should empower women, empower them to understand what's safe and effective. And I can tell you in all the years of working with the thousands of women I've worked with, I've actually never had a woman become injured or have a problem with her pregnancy because of the workout she did, which is pretty amazing. I am stoked that you guys are here and I hope you are having an amazing December. It's hard to believe that the holidays are just around the corner and I hope that everybody is staying safe and finding joy and extra shiny silver linings. This is the first year in my entire life that I haven't gone down to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I'm from for Christmas, so it's a little bit different, but it inspired me to actually decorate and buy a Christmas tree and do the whole thing at my house. And it's also a special Christmas because it is my husband and I's first Christmas with a baby. That's right. It's Bradley's very first Christmas, so that's pretty cool. If you haven't hit the subscribe button, please make sure that you do that and If you want to take a few seconds with a little bit of extra time you might have around the holidays, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it really does help people find the show. So thanks a lot. And also big thank you to those of you who have donated to the show via Patreon and PayPal, which is on sonyalooney.com slash podcasts if you are interested in contributing. If you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any of my exclusive articles, I send out a newsletter every single week with the podcast episode of the week and my best tips and articles on how to stay motivated, how to stay positive, and just how to shift your perspective so that you can be more resilient and show up as your best self. You can subscribe to that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Today's episode is something that I'm really excited about. It's something that I spent a lot of time thinking about last year while I was pregnant and also postpartum, and I'm still learning about my body postpartum. So what are the real exercise guidelines during pregnancy, and what are the postpartum exercise guidelines? That's been a question that many, many women have asked me. That was a question that I spent a lot of time trying to figure out for myself while I was pregnant. And the short answer is that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. How do you safely exercise through your pregnancy? And with the varied advice from medical doctors and midwives, it's important to get up to speed with the current pregnancy exercise research and also to align yourself with a medical team that is in the know and is aware of what the current research says. This is where I'm really excited to introduce to you Katherine Cram. And Catherine is an exercise physiologist. She has her master's degree and is the owner of Comprehensive Fitness Consulting, a company that provides pre- and postnatal fitness certifications and information to hospitals, health and wellness organizations, and the military. Comprehensive Fitness Consulting offers the most current evidence-based fitness information to pregnant and postpartum women and their healthcare providers. Catherine Cram is the co-author of the book, Exercising Through Your Pregnancy with Dr. James Clapp, which I have talked about on this podcast. She is the author of Fit Pregnancy for Dummies and a contributing author of Women's Healthcare and Physical Therapy, Principles and Practices for Rehabilitation Specialists. We talked about everything you want to know, how hard to go, heart rate guidelines, how exercise benefits the fetus and pregnant mother, We talked about exercise and core temperature during pregnancy, how to know if you're going too hard. I loved that we went deeper into how your physiology changes and how that also affects your cardiac, respiratory, and musculoskeletal systems. We also talked about return to sport postpartum, breastfeeding, and the energy needs associated with it. We basically got into everything that everybody has been asking, and it was amazing to get to talk to such an incredible expert in this field. The main key takeaway that you're going to get from this episode is that exercise and pregnancy 
go hand in hand and it's okay to strength train. It's okay to continue doing whatever sports you're doing and maybe even start a new sport. And of course, consulting with your personal medical professionals is the best thing to do, but this is a great place to start if you're looking for information. And you can also go to Catherine Cram's website so that you can figure out what is going to work best for you. I was looking for some art to go with the podcast thumbnail, and it was really apparent to me that there isn't a lot of at least free art out there of showing or depicting pregnant women doing endurance sports. If you type pregnant athlete, a lot of the pictures that you get are of pregnant women stretching or sitting on an exercise ball or doing yoga. And there's a couple of pictures of female runners and no pictures of female cyclists, at least in the art realm. So that's just something to keep in mind that even our society, like whenever you Google those things, you still don't see very many pictures of pregnant women doing sports. And there are lots of them out there doing that. And the more that we can get people's stories out about this, the more that we can educate ourselves with the evidence-based research on how exercise is really good for you, both mentally mentally and physically, and also good for the, the baby, the fetus. I just am so passionate about this after going through this myself. I'm so excited about the information that you're going to learn, and you might want to even give this one a listen twice. And if you have a friend who is pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant or just had a baby, make sure that you send them this episode or at least tell them about Katherine Cram and her work because I think that they'll find it really, really useful. Okay, let's get right into it. Catherine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Um, we were just chatting a second ago about how we both are really passionate about empowering women to just exercise during their pregnancy and stay healthy and how it helps the baby too. It's just something that I think uh, there's been a lot of misconception that finally over the last decade, there's so much more data that's out there that really supports the value of pregnancy and exercise and why it's important for women who don't have a complication to continue to exercise or even start exercising during their pregnancy. All right. Well, I think a good place to start is probably with some of the most common myths that are out there that people might think um, they have to adhere to. One of the probably the biggest thing I hear is that women shouldn't start exercising during pregnancy if they hadn't exercised before. And that actually has been something that hasn't been borne out with the data. In fact, for a lot of women, it's an excellent opportunity for them to start to build healthy lifestyles. And starting during pregnancy, as long as they work with someone who has experience in prenatal fitness, especially if they've never exercised before. The other thing that I think we hear a lot of is that there's uh, don't you shouldn't be lifting weights during pregnancy or you shouldn't be doing downward dog or certain poses will cause this to happen. And and these truly have never been supported by the data. What we do know is there are some instances when exercise during pregnancy is not safe for the mother or maybe even the baby, but those are few and far between. And if you go and talk with your healthcare provider prior to starting exercising and make sure that you don't have any of these complications and your physician or midwife would know those or don't develop them during your pregnancy, then you are absolutely fine to continue or even start exercising. What about the confusion among physicians and professionals about what is allowed during pregnancy? Because it seems like there's a lot of varied advice out there. There is. And a lot of even OBGYNs and midwives aren't up to speed on that. It's not their expertise. And American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and ACOG, American College of Sports Medicine, haven't been really helpful up until the last maybe five to 10 years in putting out good information. And part of that was due to the fact there wasn't a great body of research back 20 years ago. So they were a little uncomfortable about that. But I think the most important thing is for women who are becoming pregnant or want or are, are pregnant, it's so important for them to educate themselves. And many times they have to actually help educate their healthcare provider with some of the data. So that's something that I, I feel that is still a bit of a problem. People are a little bit behind the times. Um, they're not looking at the data and saying, okay, we see, we don't see these complications with exercise or this is how we modify. There's so many things that have, that have come about that have helped us work with 
exercise during pregnancy to keep it safe and effective. And you mentioned it's been only in the last five to 10 years that this data has become more prevalent or available. Like why all of a sudden did it become available when previously it wasn't? There's a couple reasons. And, and there's really been data way back. Um, I worked a, a book with Dr. James Clapp, who was an OBGYN, who actually did some of the hallmark research on prenatal fitness. And his studies are from several decades ago. But the problem is there's twofold. Number one, fitness wasn't as big a thing, say, 30 years ago and 20 years ago. So the drive of more and more women who are of childbearing age now being fit prior to pregnancy and wanting to maintain fitness has driven the data as well. It's driven the studies. The second factor is it's very difficult to get a study uh, okay to do on pregnancy. You know, we really have to be careful about that. So there's been a lot of difficulty setting up good studies, some that are randomized controls or those are very difficult. So we look at some of these these in, in ways as not being as powerful. But what we found, and it's been very interesting, is looking at, do we see any kind of downside to exercise? Have we seen any data showing that a women who exercise at a moderate to somewhat hard level during the pregnancy have a higher risk of miscarriage? That has not been borne out. And so it's very reassuring to get some of that information because it really helps us know that that this is still something that the human body is well-equipped to deal with. And in most instances, exercise further enhances the effects of pregnancy. I love that. And I mean, most of the people listening to this podcast are recreational and racing cyclists and runners, so primarily endurance athletes, but also many of the people listening have their own strength or yoga practice as well. And one of the main questions, I mean, there's several questions that I, I have, but the first question I have is there is or used to be a heart rate cap on what's allowed as an athlete or as someone who's exercising. What is the current data on heart rate rules with pregnancy? Well, the, the interesting thing is, is that there really is no heart rate limit anymore. That limit came back and it was started in the early 1990s. And in, that, in 1994, actually, even American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists dropped that 140 heart rate limit. And it really wasn't based on anything. As you know, as an athlete, <laughs> training heart rate is going to vary for a lot of different reasons. And what's a high heart rate for you may be very different for somebody else, dependent upon age or training level. And what the worry was is that these higher heart rates were going to cause a decrease in blood flow going to the placenta and ultimately the fetus. And while there is minor amounts of shunting of blood flow that occurs, what we're finding is that A, isn't enough to cause any long-term damage. And in fact, we're finding that it may actually have a training effect on the fetus and in a very positive way where the fetus learns from these little stressors, and we kind of call them minor stressors of increased maternal heat, increased maternal heart rate, and a little bit of decreased blood flow that A, the placenta creates more blood vessels, so they have greater perfusion. And we see that in some studies of women who exercise throughout their pregnancy, that they had greater amount of blood flow coming into and out of the placenta. So what does that mean? That means that fetus is going to have less stress when there's decreased blood flow, say during labor and delivery, because they have built up greater reserves. Even the red blood cells, these fetuses are, there's been some study that suggests that they're able to bind oxygen better. And that's probably why we see a lower number of complications that occur during labor and delivery with women who are fit versus those who are not. So some really compelling information. Now, as far as that heart rate goes, one of the things I tell women and what we are teaching women to do is to look at how they perceive that exertion. Because during pregnancy, there's huge changes that go on in your cardiovascular system and your pulmonary system and metabolic. All of these make tremendous changes in your cardiac output and your capability cardiovascularly. It's like training for a marathon, essentially. So your heart rate that normally has a linear relationship with your exertion level, during pregnancy, it's not that linear. So what we try to look at more so is how you feel. And what we tell women is you want to work at a level 
that feels somewhat hard, moderate to somewhat hard. Now for you, that's a much higher workload level than somebody who doesn't do any exercise. See what I'm saying? So what would be a level of moderately hard to you would be extremely difficult for a woman who doesn't exercise. But for you, that's fine because you're still able to talk, converse. And we, and we use that talk test. We're saying you shouldn't be working out so hard that you are panting and out of breath. But just to reassure you, even in those instances, that the fetus is built to be able to get what it needs. You more than likely are going to feel very lightheaded, very fatigued before it's going to adversely affect your fetus. So learning to listen to your body and athletes are so good at that anyway is a really important factor. So we talk about keeping that workload within that moderate to somewhat hard level. Pregnancy is probably not the time to be doing really high intensity workouts for sustained periods of time, because in that instances, we do see enough shunting and also enough core maternal core temperature up, upping that it could be possibly detrimental. Yeah. And I, I like that you said, like you gave it context and a question that people ask me and a question I was wondering about when I was pregnant is as an elite athlete or as you know, many people listening are racing athletes, what if they want to go hard? They want to push themselves to maybe a threshold where they are breathing harder and they, they say like, well, how hard can I go and how long can I go that hard without putting my baby, my baby or my fetus in danger? Is, is there a, an answer for that? It relies on a couple of things you want to look at. First of all, you know, core temperature is a really big factor, especially during that first trimester. And in fact, there has been a slight increase in preterm labor and, and issues with the neural tube development in instances where women reach really high core temperatures. Now, that being said, it's pretty difficult for you to get up there. You need to either be in a hot tub, in a, a sauna, or a sustained high heat humidity environment. So that's really important, especially that first trimester to be looking at that option of making sure you're not exercising in an environment that's stressing your core temperature, making it rise too quickly. Secondly, one of the other things to keep in mind, and it's not just about the fetus, but it's about when, because of these changes in cardiovascular system, you're much more prone to your blood pressure dipping really low. And so when you push it pretty hard, you can have shunting happening that could cause you to get really lightheaded. These are things you want to be watching for. So if you, you know, say you wanted to run a sprint and you're doing 30 second sprint, th th those are not long enough for you to have an issue. But if you're noticing afterwards that you're not recovering well, if you're noticing afterwards or during that you're feeling lightheaded, that's a little bit of a sign that you're maybe in an area of your pregnancy where your cardiovascular system homeostasis hasn't leveled out. So it's a, you know, people love to say, oh, well, okay, we want to, this is what you do your first trimester. This is your second, this is your third. And I really don't like to look at it that way. I think that every woman's going to be different. I think from one week to the next, she can feel very differently. So it's all about listening to your body and how do you feel? Now, if you want to push it a little that day and you feel really good, you've been gaining weight normally, well hydrated, the temperature's cool, do a 30-second sprint or push a little bit harder. See how you feel during and then also know how you feel afterwards. And I'll tell you one other quick little tip is that get to really be familiar with what your true resting heart rate is. <laughs> so every morning you should be taking that resting heart rate and if you the day before, hit it a little heavier. And if it was a little too much for you and your pregnancy right then, you're going to probably notice a spike in that resting heart rate. And it's a sign that you need to kind of take it down a notch. That's a really great tip. And another thing, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but myself and some of my friends noticed that our resting heart rates while pregnant were about 10 beats higher than when we weren't pregnant, just generally speaking. That's all part of the challenge that's on your cardiovascular system and also the change in just the weight of carrying the baby. That's why getting to know what your true resting heart rate is and noticing those shifts. So if you've been taking it all along, you can look at the fact, okay, now I've noticed it's up after the last two months, up about 10 beats what it normally is, but that's your normal zone right there. So that's why every day, full minute, write it down, 
and get to know that and feel comfortable with it because it's going to be a really good insight as to you overtraining or you becoming sick. And how does heart rate variability change, if at all, during pregnancy? You're going to see tremendous changes. And one of them is several of the factors are driven physiologically by the changes in hormones and by the changes in the cardiovascular system and how it's you're having a tremendous amount of cardiac reserve that changes, but your cardiac output increases by up to 40% during your pregnancy. That's huge. So there's a lot more volume. And then also we have a lot more vascularity in the periphery. So what we, if you want to think about is your heart's the pump, then you've got the volume, which is the blood, the plasma, everything in the blood. And then you've got your resistance in the area, which is all those blood vessels in your body. During pregnancy, you have an increased reduction in, I guess the easier way to look at this is it the blood vessels, your arterial walls tend to be a little bit more lax. So what happens is, is you've got more area. Initially during pregnancy, until the volume of your blood flow catches up to this change, you're going to feel really lightheaded. And that's going to cause your heart to beat faster because you need more blood flow. Then when your body is always working towards homeostasis, brings that plasma volume up and that blood volume up, then you're not going to notice that as much. But then when you start to have the added workload of carrying that larger baby, then it's very much akin to working out with a backpack on your back. And every week we put another rock in there and you're carrying that. So it's an increased workload that's going to cause that heart rate to go up. So it can vary quite a bit though with those hormonal surges. So that's why we, we don't use heart rate as a training tool. Now, that being said, many elite athletes do, but simply because they're so tuned in and able to look at what the changes are and still say, okay, this is how I feel. My heart rate's a little higher, but I still feel I'm in the moderate zone. So you guys are a whole different animal that I find so fascinating because I think it's pushing the limits a little bit, but I think that makes it a little more interesting too. Yeah. And something really interesting. I mean, everybody has different experiences, but for me, we'll tie in heart rate and we'll also talk about respiratory frequency for me. But even before I took a pregnancy test, I knew I was pregnant because at a lower heart rate, my respiratory frequency was much, much higher than it normally would be. Yep. Well, that's part of that has to do your, your first trimester. You essentially, it feels like you need to breathe more. Part of that occurs because of a hormone that's produced during pregnancy that causes you to breathe a little deeper and a little faster because you need to get in more oxygen and kick off more CO2. So that's a really normal occurrence in that first trimester. That's where women seem to notice it the most. And then as you get further along in your pregnancy, because your workload of carrying more weight of the baby and the metabolic load and physiological load, that causes you have to breathe more because you're really having to bring in more oxygen and kick off more of the waste. Yeah. And then we talked about earlier, you said like defining a moderate to harder effort based on, you know, are you out of breath? Are you able to talk? And for me, that would be normally like what would be maybe even zone two if I wasn't pregnant. And I wasn't able to put out power, but I just would notice no, no matter where I was in my pregnancy around a much lower heart rate than, than it used to be, I would just be breathing much harder. And that's how I decided that's how hard I should go, even if the heart rate looked really low to me. See, and that's so intuitively brilliant to look at it that way, really, because that's exactly what I try to tell women to do. That there's, there's more deciding factors than just that heart rate. Some days, I'm sure it has to do with how your musculoskeletal system felt. Some days, that's the determining factor. Soreness, tightness, those sorts of things can be the determining factor on other days. So that's, you want to globally look at everything. And as an athlete, you have all these tools that actually help you fine tune better. We're a little more nervous with women who don't have that insight to their body to say, okay, yeah, you can work at these higher workloads because they can't determine how they really feel as well as you do. And that's why I think as athletes, you have such a, a better idea of really where you're at that you can push it a little bit more without it being a problem. Yeah. And it, it must be hard as a researcher in this area because there is no like exact guideline that you can give that fits every single person. No, but you know what? The thing is, is that these 
once you train someone to understand their body's responses, these are universally work. This works well for everyone. And that's again, why I don't have set. I don't want set guidelines because in doing that, we limit some and we overdo it for others. It's like that whole thing about you shouldn't lift more than 20 pounds during pregnancy. Well, <laughs> for a woman who's a straight you know, weight training, that's nothing to another woman. That would be far too much. And so I don't believe in these limitations being put out there for absolutely no reason. We shouldn't do that. We should empower women, empower them to understand what's safe and effective. And I can tell you in all the years of working with the thousands of women I've worked with, I've actually never had a woman become injured or have a problem with her pregnancy because of the workout she did, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. And we talked about elevated body temperature. You mentioned it's not good to go into a sauna or into a hot tub, but whenever people exercise, it's normal to feel warmer and to start sweating. So how do you know how much is too much in that regard? Sweating, feeling warm, that's all fine. It's when you're getting up to the level where you're profusely sweating or you stop sweating, your face is so red, you feel so fatigued, you feel dehydrated. This situation with exercise really only can occur in a high heat humidity environment. So if you're watching out for the environment you're exercising in and avoiding those times of day or weather conditions where you're in a real high heat index, you're fine. Those little spikes in heat are not the issue. It's high heat sustained for a period of time. Okay. And a big question that I had and that people also ask me is how many hours am I allowed to continue training while I'm pregnant? How many hours is too many? How many hours is enough? Like how much am I supposed to train? Well, that has a lot to do with at the level of you training, but I always have women ask these questions of themselves. Number one, am I gaining weight normally during this pregnancy per OBGYN or midwife visits? If you're not or you start losing weight, that's a period of time we say, okay, we got to stop, revamp, and take a look at your workout and your diet. Because sometimes with overtraining, women don't gain normally. And that's important. But even more important than that is, how is your baby growing to gestational age? So if your doctor is concerned about the baby's growth rate, that's another time for you to step back and say, I maybe I'm doing too much exercise, too high a level, too many days a week bring it down a bit. But for the most part, I tell them, if you are doing six days a week of workouts for an hour to two hours, even you feel great. Your baby's growing normally. You're gaining weight normally. You're sleeping well. You feel energized. Why would I limit that? There's no reason to. You're feeling fine. But if you start to have any of those issues coming up, or if you notice you're resting heart rate's high all the time, you don't feel rested, you're getting sick, you're starting to feel really, really, even just sometimes depression will, will set in as an overtraining. Then, then it's a time for you to take it back a little bit. And that doesn't mean for the whole pregnancy, even sometimes it's during those growth spurts. And then you need to take it back a bit, rest a little more, but then get back at it. But if you're feeling good and everything's going normally, there's no reason to say you can't do what feels good for you. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point because I think as, as athletes who say, you know, I'm used to training X hours per week and then I get pregnant and now I'm going to set a goal to hit X hours per week. And I did that in my first trimester. And I actually will say that I pushed myself a little too hard. Like I did have some of these symptoms you were just describing, like I'd need to lie in bed for after I'd ride my bike, or I would feel like anxiety or like depressive states. And I didn't link it to the exercise initially. I thought, oh, well, it's just because I'm pregnant or my hormones are changing. And after that, I decided, it, you know, this isn't even fun. This isn't worth it. Like, why am I doing this to myself? I'm going to just really try to listen to my body. But it was hard because I had a, a precedent for what I wanted to do to, quote, stay an athlete. And that actually was a lower intensity and less hours than what I was doing before. And I had to learn to let that go. It's such a beautiful point you just said about that. And that's so true. And that's, we all kind of have this threshold that we feel good about ourselves at. And especially for someone who's an elite athlete, that's way higher. And sometimes some women can sustain it for a while. But what I, 
I always try to tell pregnant women in this situation is you've got to remember that we really, you really are wearing a backpack essentially with heavier weights. So what you used to do, people say, women will say, I just can't do what I used to do. You're doing more than you used to do at that same workload. So that's the way to look at it is that now just think about the fact walking a mile on a flat road. Then we put you a little bit of an incline. Then we put you at a really steep incline with a backpack on that's 25 pounds. How much different would that walk feel for that mile? Very. Yet you haven't changed the workload re- or the workout really, except for that incline, but you're, you've added so much more work on your body that you have to tamp it down a little bit to keep things equal. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like another thing that I told myself and tell myself as, you know, a breastfeeding mom is like, my body isn't just doing the things it was doing before. It's helping to either grow a human inside of it, or it's working to nourish another human. And there's an energy cost for that. Exactly. And that is exactly right. And what you're touching on there, I think is such a great point to think about is instead of looking at something as less, that you're doing less, keep remembering all the things you're doing along with that to come to the whole. So say, okay, maybe I have to cut down a little bit. Breastfeeding takes a lot more calories, a lot more metabolic work than actually, uh, you know, you, you 500 calories a day versus only 300 for making a baby. So it's taking a lot more. So you have to look at that and say, my exercise pie, we're going to take a slice out of the exercise portion and we're going to fit in the breastfeeding portion. Still makes a whole pie. But you see what I'm saying? It, it's so important to think that way because otherwise you feel a little defeated and it's, you know, I I totally get it because so much of who you are is tied into being that athlete. And you have to remember, I'm still that athlete with this other stuff tied in too. Yeah. And the breastfeeding part has also been really interesting for me because as you mentioned, the recommendation is 500 calories, but I started doing some additional research because when my baby got to be about six months old, I noticed that I wasn't recovering from workouts anymore. And my, I was losing so much weight. Like I weigh, or I've been working to gain weight, but I was weighing less than I did when I was pregnant, you know, and that's with like increased breast size because of breastfeeding and all those things. And I realized, wow, I actually need a thousand calories per day more instead of 500. And I've been working to gain the weight back. And if, if I, if I don't eat enough calories then I actually can't recover from my workouts and I think that that 500 calorie recommendation is based on the fact that you probably still have some maternal body fat left over. And then once you blow through that, it's hard to maintain, you know, homeostasis, making milk and taking care of yourself and taking care of the baby. Well, well, that 500 calories is just for not exercise. I mean, we're talking about when someone's working out, then in my programs, we, we add on top of that, the 500 calories is just if you did nothing. That's the, you need, you burn up 500 extra calories making the milk. Add on top of that exercise, we always have to add for that. And the way we find out that sweet spot is, am I losing too much weight or am I not losing any weight if you wanted to lose some weight or am I gaining weight? Finding that sweet spot where you stay right where you want to be. And just like you said, for you, you probably need a thousand or more you'll find that sweet spot by when you start putting that weight back on and feeling a little better. It, it's a little bit of a process. It is. And it was hard for me. It took a while for me to figure out what was going on. Cause I was training like 15 to 17 hours a week. And then like, I actually need to eat 4,000 to 4,500 calories a day in order to feel good. And that's really hard to get that many calories in a day, especially when you're running it, around. Taking, taking, yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, that sounds great. No, it's not because it's work. It's a lot of work to get that many calories. Yeah. And, and especially because like you want them to be good quality calories. Like it's easy to get lots of calories if you're eating like lots of processed food and, and junk food and stuff, but that's not good fuel to put in your body if you want to expect, you know, to perform. It, it, you're right. And, you know, I think that you have such great insights to this. And, and I'm sure there's so many things that I mean, as far as being an elite athlete, how has it been for you to just be able to say, okay, I'm still that, but you know, how do I modify how I think about myself? It's been interesting because of COVID this year, I haven't been able to race and I was ready to race three months after my son was born. And I was really proud of the work that I had done to get back to race fitness. But at the six to eight month mark, because I had been so under calorie for so long without realizing it, 
I didn't feel good about myself. Like there are days where I felt like quitting days that I just thought, well, th maybe I'm just not going to be able to do this. Maybe I can't do it all. And it was because of the calories. And now I'm starting to feel better again, finally. You know, it's what you're doing and what you're showing is so empowering for women. I, I just think we really are changing up that whole paradigm of how we look at pregnancy and how we pigeonhole women into all you know, all of these don't do this or do this. Women, I always tell women in my programs in the past, you say to the new moms, you know yourself better than anybody. Don't let anyone tell you how to feel, what to be. If you're nervous about something, if you're concerned about something, you need to listen to yourself. Same thing with, with your baby. If your doctor poo-poos, don't put up with it. You're the one that knows better than anybody and empowering women to trust themselves is so important. Yeah, and I think it's important to have different narratives out there because everyone has different experiences. For me personally, while I was pregnant, there was absolutely no way I could even imagine lining up for a race because I just didn't feel very strong and I felt happy I could still exercise, but in no way did I feel like I wanted to race. But I know some other women who actually have been able to race during their pregnancy and, and mountain bike race. And while I couldn't imagine that, I thought that was amazing that they were able to do that and good that they could share that story for other people who may have, might have felt better than I did. And there's, there's a, it's a double-edged sword. And on, on the one hand, people like you that know what they're doing, it's fabulous. But for people, sometimes then I'll have other women, I have to kind of rein back and go, you know, for you, <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. You know, and that's that's the problem. I, I don't think there's a lot of that issue. I think most women are pretty nervous during their pregnancy, and I don't like anyone to feel nervous. But for the most part, that fetus is so well protected. And there's the, the only time I've ever seen an issue is in a kickboxing class. And, you know, that's a situation, too. It was just a matter of common sense that if people would have thought about the fact that you do not want to be within a kick length of anyone and it just wasn't done. And I think those sorts of things, it's a lot of common sense yeah. stuff. You know, I'm sure that if you were mountain bike, you're probably not going to do the hardest trails or you're not going to push stuff to the point where you, you wouldn't, you, know, you don't feel comfortable. Yeah. And I think that that's such a key word, comfortable, because everybody's skill level is incredibly different. And of course, there's a risk if you're going to ride a bike outside. Like there's going to be a risk if you're pretty much doing anything outside. <laughs> And what I was comfortable with is really different than what somebody else might be comfortable with because of their skill level. And I chose to ride at like a 60 to 70% speed on the downhill compared to what I used to ride at. And I never took on any new features. And if I felt any you know question in my mind, I wouldn't ride something. But the stuff that I was riding were things that maybe other people you know, on their scariest day wouldn't ride. So it, I think it's just very relative to what your skill level is and knowing yourself, like, like you mentioned, that's a common theme is really trying to know your body and listen to your body and even like what your mind is saying. Well, and you know, the thing is exactly that. What is hard for you is very different than someone else. And you can't let someone else tell you what's right for you. You just can't. And there's a lot of people that for some reason, when a woman becomes pregnant, people feel that they can say anything. They can give advice. They can, and they, they, they don't know anything. Most of them. <laughs> It's bad advice. It's usually advice meant to make someone fearful. And I try to really get away from that because there, there's just really very little reason to be fearful. What's some of the worst advice that you've heard? You know, I'm sure you, all the women that you work with have come to you and said, so-and-so said this. Is that true? Oh, I think things, a lot of stuff just about running and running is going to make you have a miscarriage because of the up and down motion of course, the downward dog is going to cause the umbilical cord to be <laughs> go around the neck of the fetus, which would be very interesting how you would even do that. There's also some really interesting ones having to do with the different cultures. And I worked at the University of Wisconsin and then also at a hospital program that we had a lot of students that were students at the university and from all over the world. Very, very interesting cultural differences. And, and, and you know what thing that was, I had to really just have an open mind because a lot of them were deeply entrenched. And if someone believes something deeply there, I mean, there was one culture where you, you do not even take a, a bath or shower for weeks post. And the woman had asked me what I thought about that. And 
boy, did I get in trouble with her family. <laughs> Just, now, now my line is, you know, check, check with your doctor about that. Because even though it didn't make any sense, and it was, it was, it was an old wives tale, it was culturally very relevant to her family. And so anyway, those are some of the things that, that have come up, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's just such a joy to work with pregnancy and with new moms because it's such an interesting time. And as a physiologist, there isn't any more fascinating time than that 40 weeks of pregnancy. The, the body goes through miraculous adaptations and changes. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about the benefits to the fetus. I mean, you mentioned a little bit better and I don't know if it's easier, but better birth outcomes for delivery. Are there any other benefits to the fetus at, at birth and maybe even, you know, into early infancy and childhood? Well, there's been a few studies, longitudinal studies that have looked at babies born to mothers who exercise versus women who did not. And first of all, they didn't see any negative issues with it, but they did see some significant changes in the, in the levels of body fat of the babies when they were born, which in this culture has a lot of bearing. The babies were never under, it wasn't underweight, but they were, they were more lower normal birth weight. So they were born with less fat cells, which probably has some pretty interesting implications to long-term propensity to develop obesity. So the less fat cells you're born with, uh, the lower your risk and the more, the higher, just like we see a lot of issues with gestational diabetes and babies born very large and heavy. And that's been one interesting issue that the babies are normal weight, but they're a little, we call them longer and they're a little leaner. Um, Also, there were some differences in their intellectual development, but a lot of that, I think you have to look at too, at the point these studies were done maybe the level the, the women who were in the studies may have had higher education level. They may have read to their babies more. So it's a little hard to tease that out. But one of the other things we also see is when you talk about that complication rate during labor and delivery, that's a very serious issue. And anytime we can positively impact that. Now, not every study says that. Not every study is seeing lower C-section rate. But for the most part, we're seeing more data that does support that. And it probably has to do again with the fact that these fetuses are better able to handle the stressors. One other thing that I think is increasingly important to look at is how women perceive their labor and delivery. And a woman who's fit, knows her body, trusts her body, is going to do so much better. She's going to perceive pain very differently. She's going to be able to work with her body more efficiently. So all of those factors, I think, just bode very well for both mother and baby. Yeah, there is a, some studies I read, and I'm, I'm afraid to misquote them. So if people listening don't exactly quote me on this, and maybe they're the same of what you were talking about, but it was a study, it was studies about obesity, and the propensity for someone to be obese. And it was something to the effect of, even if like, it's about the importance of the environment of the womb and the, the mother carrying the baby. So even if a mother was carrying a baby that wasn't theirs genetically, if that mother was o- obese, or that that you know, carrier of the baby was obese, even if the baby wasn't genetically theirs, that baby was way more likely to be obese and vice versa. It's, there's so much we don't know. And there's so much we don't know about circulating hormones. I just think it's so amazingly interesting to look at some of the stuff. And obesity is a huge issue in this culture. And we have a real problem with obesity with pregnancy. And we see a lot of women who start their pregnancies morbidly obese. And they have a much higher rate of babies that are born fat and as children becoming obese. And we know that there's a lot of circulating hormones that can be an issue. It can have to do with just their diet, the amount of glucose going to the fetus. And we have tremendously increased risk of complications during labor delivery, the bigger the baby gets. So all of those things I think are very interesting. And I I wish we could get more women to understand how important it is to remain fit during pregnancy or even start a fitness program, right along with, again, a healthy diet. Those two things, we, women like you and most of the women I've worked with have access to good food, to exercise, to going to a gym. One of the things I've really been interested in working with is the underserved population that need it even more, and they don't have access to those things. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask about that part. Because I, I haven't done much research in that area, and 
like how much does privilege play a role in that? Huge role. It really does. Because when you are living in a food desert and you don't have the money to either get to a gym or take part in, you know, pay for a gym membership, you live in somewhere like I do in Wisconsin, that's, that's pretty cold and wintry most, you know, wintertime months. It, and you don't have any childcare help, uh, maybe working two jobs, it's very, very difficult. And one of the things I've been working on with a professor at the University of Kentucky is we're developing an app, it will be free, that women can use. Because most women do have a cell phone or they do have a computer. But this app provides exercise tips and actual programs for prenatal and postpartum. So we're trying to do more like that to make it accessible because it's very difficult to try to do it in any other way where we have classes or they meet. University of Wisconsin here uh, has a program where we do help provide nutrition and exercise information, but it's that missing link of then, okay, yeah, I can tell you what you need to do, but how do I actually help you do it? Yeah, man, there's so much we could talk about there, <laughs> self-determination theory and just all these things, but I'd love to talk about postpartum. And number one, I have my own like theories of how birth or exercising while pregnant helps you become a better athlete postpartum. But can you tell me the things that you've seen in your research? Well, the cardiovascular system, because of the changes that occurred, we, we, there's been some data supported that women actually are able to exercise and, and train at a higher level and do, so, do better for several months, especially afterwards. But I think a lot of this also has to do with just the challenge of pregnancy and how you view yourself afterwards, the sense of determination uh, that you were, you know, really there's such growth that occurs both physiologically and emotionally and mentally. And I think a lot of that helps as well in making you a better athlete. There's the physiological changes, but there's also, I think, some of those psychological changes, which as you know, they're as important as the physiological, how you think. Absolutely. And I actually would love to ask you if, if my like guesses are on point or if they're wrong, but number one, I was wondering if the heart muscle itself becomes stronger and you have a better stroke volume postpartum because you had to be pushing so much more blood through your body while pregnant. You do for a while. Your body only meets the load that's being put upon it. So the load of pregnancy, when it's gone, you're going to slowly return back to normal over a period of time. But for quite a while, and for some women, it's many months, she will still retain some of that increased cardiac output and volume and all of the other issues that all the other good things that occurred during her pregnancy to help her build a better cardiovascular system, muscle mass, all of that will be retained for a while. But like I said, unless you keep challenging the system, it only meets that challenge. So it's just like lifting a weight. If you stop lifting that weight, eventually it's going to go back down to it's what it's normal condition is without being trained. Okay. So I'm guessing then the same for the respiratory system. If you've been, you know, breathing harder than normal because of progesterone or because, you know, you're, you're working just harder, your respiratory, all your muscles around that, your diaphragm, intercostals, et cetera, that that goes back as well. It will go back as well, unless you challenge the system with a much harder workout that makes you have to breathe at that rate and carry that or like put yourself at that level of workload that you did during your pregnancy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, and, and, I, and I think that for a lot of women, there is an increase to remember that workload of lifting and caring for your baby every day is a <laughs> lot more work. So you're adding that to the workload you're doing with your actual training and you're working harder. So you may retain a little bit more. Okay. So let's talk about postpartum return to sport. Like there's, I know there's a lot of different protocols and it definitely matters, you know, how, what kind of birth you had and, and what the, the recovery from the birth is, but what's your recommendation on postpartum return to sport or even how people should just start considering what their options are? A lot of it has to just do with exactly the things you said, um, whether the birth was an easy or a difficult birth, whether the baby is healthy or has some issues that are requiring, you know, more care or they're up more at night. Those are all some issues to take into consideration. One of the things I tell women is that if you start feeling ready to get back into your workload and get back into your exercise, 
a real good rule of thumb is if you start doing a workout and you notice that you have increased bright red bleeding vaginally, that's a pretty good sign. You're just not quite ready. But if you're feeling fine, you don't have an increase in that bright red blood and you're feeling good, then I tell women, just take it a little slow, titrate it the first month or so slowly, and then you can start loading much faster. That is, of course, if you're doing well with your breastfeeding and weight isn't dipping down too low, like the experience that you had. I, I don't really like to tell them there, there really isn't a set. People say, oh, eight to six weeks, four to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. I've had women after C-section start exercising in two weeks. And I've had women with an easy vaginal delivery that didn't get back into it for two months. Everybody's different. Depends on how many babies you've had, whether you're chasing a two-year-old and have a newborn. <laughs> so it's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point that you made is that, again, it's dependent on the person. And there are general recommendations that you hear like six weeks and you shouldn't be exercising before, but many people are able to and they they look at the the bleeding, like you mentioned, or is there more bleeding? And then there's people that just don't feel ready. And that's okay, too. Like you don't have to, you're, you're not a hero, you know, if you get back on your bike or get back to running immediately after birth you know, you have to do what's right for you. And I think it's hard sometimes because people compare themselves and they feel like, well, so-and-so did this, so I should be doing that too. Otherwise, I'm not a badass. You know, so, that's, that point is like an absolute hot point for me is the whole thing of comparing. This isn't a contest. That, and as women, we need to absolutely support everybody else's choices and support and encourage a woman to not feel bad about herself, that she can't quite get back into it. Reassure her that that's normal too. That it's just sometimes the luck of the draw that somebody had an easier recovery than someone else. And a lot of women compare themselves. Oh, I'm not back into my genes. It's irrelevant. This is a one person show here. Everybody's going to do it differently. And as women, we need to really support that and support, you know, whatever their choices and whether, you know, they feel good or they're feeling like I'm not ready to start exercising. That's the one time I tell women, if you can get a nap or go for a walk in that first few months, get the nap. <laughs> you need it. Absolutely. I love that. I didn't get to ask you about running because I know I personally know a lot about cycling, but what about running? Like, can people run until the very end or, or like when should they stop if, if they feel like stopping running or biking? Like, is there a reason to stop? The only reason to stop is if it's not feeling good. Or if she's a complication, say she started spotting or she has some other issues. What I usually see with runners is they have to take down their pace a little bit. A lot of times it gets a little difficult as the baby's bigger. Also, there can be wrong ligament pain. And a lot of times a belly band's really helpful. Sometimes just during a growth spurt of the baby, she'll have a lot of wrong ligament pain during that time. But then it'll ease up as the, the wrong ligaments ease up a little bit. So I just tell women it's really important to make sure she pays real close attention to her body. Most of the time, the limiting factors are going to be either her feet or her round ligaments or low back. And if that's the case, then we look at some other options. So always trying to find another option that's an, an activity she enjoys doing. Maybe she takes it down to a walk, jog, walk, jog, different things. But I always try to find a way to find an exercise, find a couple different things she can do. It's still going to be enjoyable. And the last question I have is about diastasis. Is it diastasis or diastasis recti? I always say diastasis, but that's how my PT friends say it, but I don't think it matters either way. (laughs) Yeah. I moved to Canada about eight years ago and a lot of the physiology, like the way that you pronounce things is so different. Like they say capillaries and musculoskeletal <laughs> system, like all these things where I'm like, oh. <laughs> and they're physiotherapists. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, how common is it? And, you know, I had this and I was beating myself up about it and then it went away, you know, it just felt like a bruise and then it went away on its own. But how common is it among the, the fit women population? I'm glad you brought it up because this is a little, it's a pet peeve of mine about this whole diastasis recti being this condition. It is a normal adaptation of the abdominal wall to make room for the baby during pregnancy. Absolutely normal. We really don't have any strong data at this point that says for a woman with a two and a half finger width, which number number one, that drives me crazy. My fingers compared to a man's fingers, two and a half is going to be very different. 
There's no study that I've seen anywhere that correlates between the width of fingertip and pathology or low back pain. We can surmise that the wider that, and all it is, is that that linea alba, that connective tissue band between the two recti muscles thins and pulls, widens, doesn't separate as in a, like a, a, a hernia. No, this is just a thinning and widening. And so the Recti muscles aren't as supportive because you've got you've lost some of that contractile strength and support. But you have to have this happen to allow room for the baby to grow. And I've seen women with a huge diastasis recti that after pregnancy comes back. And, and you want to keep in mind, too, that connective tissue is like a rubber band. And how well that comes back together is dependent upon your genetics, how many babies you've had your skin tone, the collagen level, all of these things. So you can work out like a maniac on that abdominal wall. And it's still, you're going to have a little gap there. That's okay. But one of the things I do recommend is I tell women during pregnancy, avoid any supine sit-up type exercises. They're just not effective. What we, we have women do instead is more of the lower abdominal, the transverse muscle. And we do things that don't cause that intra-abdominal pressure that you get when you do a sit-up, you know, when you come up and then that coning occurs in the midline. What we want to do is the opposite, where we're actually pulling and tucking in. And there's a lot of really great exercises that we have women do that work that transverse muscle group and provide much better support. Postpartum, we really work on a rehabilitative process of bringing that, those muscles back together, but Women should not freak out about this. It is just, I see way too much focus on it. And quite frankly, it scares women and <laughs> it's not abnormal. And uh, it's not something that's going to increase your risk of having a hernia. And for the most part, I'll bet yours came back together beautifully. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I, I had a lot of shame and, and guilt, like, oh, the, like how is this happening to me? And it, it was speaking with my chiropractor, I had a really great perinatal chiropractor who gave me a lot of reassurance and confidence. Yeah, it's just, you know, I still see a lot of women, I think a lot of people use it still as kind of a tag thing that they tie onto their work. And I, I really don't like that because it's, again, it's a fear factor and, and there's something wrong with you. No, it's normal. It, it's, and in fact, a lot of people have a wide separation that have never had a pregnancy. So it's just a genetics is a lot of it. And we can work on that postpartum. So I, I try not to have women really freak out about it at all. Well, Catherine, this hour went by really, really fast. There's so many things to talk about and you have an amazing blog, but did we miss anything that's really important? Did I leave anything out? Oh, you ask great questions. So, I mean, I think we covered a lot of it and, uh, you know, it's just one of these things. I, I'm so happy to be here because this is a real passion for me. I, I love talking about this field. I mean, as an exercise physiologist, falling into this field back years ago was such a godsend. And I'm, I'm really grateful to having had my career be this. And I, I really love doing it. Do you do one-on-one -on -one consulting if people were to reach out? You know, I used to do that quite a bit. I, every once in a while, I do do that. And I'm also happy to just help women if they've got questions. So this is something I'd be very happy to, if people want to shoot me an email, I'm more than happy to help out in any way and point them in the right direction. So that's something I'm here for and, and happy to do it. Great. Well, we'll make sure to put your ppfconsulting.com in the show notes for everybody. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to come on the show. I really wish that I had reached out to you when I was pregnant um, with a lot of my questions and concerns because I felt like I was just scouring the internet looking for information. And by you coming on the show, this is going to give so many women confidence and maybe even women who have not exercised before the confidence to, to get started so they can have better outcomes. Well, what you're doing is just wonderful. And I really thank you for that. I, I, I'm just pleased to have been a part of it. I hope you got a lot out of that podcast episode with Katherine Cram and learned a lot about exercising through your pregnancy and beyond. And if you enjoyed it, make sure that you share the show with your friends and hit that subscribe button wherever you tune into podcasts. And thank you to everybody who is sharing the show on social media. I love it whenever you guys post it up in your Instagram stories and I reshare it because it's fun to connect one-on-one. -on -one. And thank you again for all of your messages. 
It is hard to do a podcast every single week and stay consistent with it. And it's something I've been doing now for getting closer to four years. And all of your messages help me stay motivated. They help keep me on task. And I just really appreciate all of your support. And I want to say a big shout out and a special thank you. I hope you guys get some rest, some R&R, some downtime, maybe some time watching Christmas movies on Netflix. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.